Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Well, I mentioned a little bit ago, we are going to be jumping into the book of Acts this fall and looking forward to that starting on September 11th. Before then, uh, if you know anything about your Bible, the book of Acts really talks about the beginning of the church and how the church launched out into the world to proclaim Jesus and tell people about how they could be saved by Christ and experience new life in him. So what we're going to do just today and, and next week is we're going to actually look at Jesus and the way he interacted with some of those around him as he announced this new kingdom he was coming to bring. And so uh, I got a friend here, Derek, why don't you come on up here? Derek is going to be preaching uh, this morning. I'll be preaching next week. We're going to take two weeks to look at Jesus, and then we're going to jump into the book of Acts on September the 11th. But uh, this is my new friend, Derek Kelsey. And uh, yes, welcome Derek on up here. Derek and his family live in Denver. He's a pastor at Embassy Church. There, we brought him in last week or, or yesterday, this weekend, to uh, pour into some of our leaders here as a church. We have had our leader equip workshop, and Derek did a great job, just blessing and encouraging us, teaching us, giving us some some uh, equipping and, and, and training up for uh, kind of what's coming up in the year ahead. And so we enjoyed that yesterday. We did video that. If you were unable to be there, uh, we'd love to give you the video. Just reach out, and we'll make sure you get a link to that. And if you're unable to, to, to kind of enjoy that time with us yesterday, you can jump in and catch it online. Uh, but I want to hand it off to Derek. Also want to mention, uh, Derek and Audra actually uh, was our initial connection. They went to seminary together. We all went to the same school. But Derek and Audra were friends at seminary, and that was our initial connection and kind of hit it off there, And uh, which is a little bit remarkable because uh, they, they have a lot of differences. Uh, Audra's a Georgia fan. Derek's an Alabama fan, so if if you can overcome that in the body, if you can overcome that in the body, you know we sent a student to Alabama this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we should probably stop talking about that so that you can preach. No, God, Sound good? you're just showing that the favor of God is on this congregation. All right, all right, Amen. all right. Amen. Well, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, my name is Derek Kelsey, and I am a, one of the pastors at Denver, uh, in Denver at the Embassy Church, and I am so grateful to be here today. Thank you for how you have welcomed me in. I'll tell you a little bit about myself, throw a couple of shout outs, and then we'll get into the message for today. So give me a little bit of room to talk, because I like to talk. Um, first of all, um, this feels very, very familiar to me. So the Embassy Church, we are, uh, we just celebrated 10 years, and we also meet in a middle school. So when I was driving in today, and I made that right turn and saw that sign that said Redemption Church, it gave me a sense of just a warm feeling of that I don't have the feeling of trepidation that I have when I'm making the right turn into Cole Middle School where we meet, because I'm wondering, did they put the signs out today? And so uh, meeting in this space, it just feels really, really comfortable, really, really familiar. And uh, even in our time of time, I've spent with uh, the leaders at your church and even meeting some folks yesterday. Um, this really feels like home. 
And I'm always grateful for the privilege and the opportunity to gather with other believers because we indeed are family, united by the blood of Christ. And so it feels really good to see you. Um, though I'm not in Denver, I do feel at home today. So thank you for welcoming me and providing the hospitality. Uh, number two, thank you to uh, Pastor Jeff and, and Chris and Chase and Audra for uh, the conversation and inviting me in to come and talk to you. Uh, from my experiences, I really appreciate it. Um, who knew many, many moons ago uh, when I met Audra in seminary that I will end up here uh, speaking at her church. And so it's just beautiful to see how the Lord has woven our stories together and continues to do so despite our many, many, many differences. <laughs> Yeah, the Alabama-Georgia thing wasn't a problem until last year. And so you can be praying for me this season as I struggle through that. So hopefully we can rectify that at the end of the year. Um, and finally, I want to just encourage you as well. Um, we also are going to be leaving our school at the end of the year. Uh, the Lord has blessed us to be able to unite with another church that has a building. And so we're going to be in, we're in the process of working through the details of merging with another church, but also moving out of a space that we've been in. And it's going to take us into a little bit different area than we are used to being in. And so, again, a lot of this feels really, really familiar. But the thing that I do know is that the Lord is with you. The Lord has called you to this and the Lord is guiding you to this. So even in the midst of the challenges with the building and cost and all of the things that have popped up with it, I still believe that the mission that you are pursuing is one from God, and I just want to encourage you to be faithful to that and to keep your eyes on the prize and not be distracted by the things that, and the obstacles that come in your way because this is what God has for you. I truly believe that. Like, I feel like I'm at home and so I can talk to y'all like this because it just feels very familiar to me. And so I just wanted to encourage you, um, just as a fellow brother in Christ, to keep striving for it because if this is what God has for you, he will actually take you to it. Amen? All right, all right, let's spend some time uh, in the word. Lord, we just thank you for uh, your word. Lord, would you speak through me and speak to your people, Lord? Would you open their hearts and have your word fall on good ground and grow and bear fruit for that is befitting of a king of your stature and your name? Lord, be with us in our time in the word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so... Like I said, I live in Denver, Colorado, but I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. And I have two sons. Why did y'all laugh about Birmingham? Ain't nothing funny about that. I grew up in Birmingham, and I'm proud of that. And it is something that I am just fascinated about because I have two teenage sons who did not grow up in Birmingham. They grew up in Denver. And so I am, I'm just constantly monitoring them to see uh, the similarities and the differences between our upbringing. Uh, number one, um, Birmingham, I grew up around a lot of black people. Denver, <laughs> not so much. Uh, in Birmingham, I, I grew up around, my mom had a large family, she had eight siblings, and they all lived in Birmingham, and every Sunday we would go over to my grandmother's house to have dinner, and I was just surrounded by relatives, whereas in Denver, it's me and my wife, and my kids, and our church family, but anybody who's like blood related to us has to get on a plane to come see us. So it's something very different. Um, I did grow up going to church every Sunday, but my dad was not a pastor. And so I'm really, really curious about how that lands on them with them being preacher's kids. Now, 
we're not, the, they're not preacher's kids like the preacher's kids that I knew growing up because, like, again, we meet at a school. We wear jeans to church. So they're not really looked at as, oh, y'all got to be better because y'all are related to the pastor. So th there's not that type of thing. But I am curious about how being around church and coming and helping set up and do all the things that they've been doing for the 10 years of their life, how that is shaping their Christian formation. And so I, I really pay attention to uh, when they speak up about things that relate to uh, how they're viewing their faith. And so uh, a couple years ago, uh, they were, um, we were getting ready for school, and my youngest son, who was, uh, he was in middle school at that point of time, uh, he says, Dad, I am no longer going to listen to Lil Nas X. And I looked at him, and I was like, well, what took you so long? You know, because I grew up in the 90s where there was real hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, duh, like, why, why is this some big revelation? And he was like, well, Dad, I saw this video that Lil Nas X did, and it was uh, very salacious. He didn't use the word salacious. But he was like, it's very salacious, and um, he was dancing on the devil, and Dad, I'm just not with that. I'm, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to listen to any of his music anymore. And I was like, hmm. That's curious. I would have hoped that you would have found your way there based on your musical taste. But it's interesting that you're finding your way there based on some sort of desire to live out your Christianity in this way. And as again, as a father who's a pastor, who's going to seminary, I'm always excited to dive into those things, especially when they're the ones bringing it up to me. So, uh, so he's, uh, he brought that up, but I was like, well, let's look at that and look at what's going on. And so we started a conversation about um, art and the artist. And I talked to him about like, did you know that he was doing that to be provocative on purpose? And he did catch your attention. And, and what is truly the reason why you don't want to listen to him? Is it because of the video? Is there something else about that? And he was just effectively trying to tell me that he was trying to live out his faith. And the way he thought he was going to be able to live out his faith well was by distancing himself from this particular artist based on the way that artist was presenting. And I actually understood and on some level felt where he was coming from, but I also wanted him to be a little more uh, nuanced in how he examined those things. Because though we do have this impulse and this desire to say, when I'm, when I'm facing things that don't seem like they're of God, when I'm facing things that, that look uh, to be unrighteous or immoral, we have this desire to say, I want to take a stand for Jesus. I, I, want to, I want to show up and I want to stand for the Jesus way. And that impulse on some level is a positive one, but we have to be careful in how we live that out. And so there, there are a couple of ways that I find that we, we get into trouble when we have that impulse raised up in us and we're thinking about how do I show up as being a part of the family of Jesus and representing the Jesus way when I'm faced with something that doesn't seem like it's like Jesus. And one of the things we fall in trouble to and fall in trouble with is that we want to see those things and we want to draw a line. We want to draw a line in the sand. And you typically draw a line in the sand for one of two reasons. One is to, to go to battle, or the other is to create a sense of separation. And here's where we have to be careful about both of those, uh, those impulses. One, when you draw a line in the sand to get ready to go to battle in the name of representing God, we have to be careful that our, motive, our motives are pure because sometimes we're drawing that line in the sand just because we like to fight. 
So we hear something, we see something, somebody puts something out on Facebook and it's like, ooh, it's on. <laughs> Crack my knuckles. Let me get on his, this next door app and really let me tell you about how wrong you are and how off you are. And it's not really because we're trying to represent God. It's just like, oh, I got a reason to fight. And so we lean into that and, and we push into that. But I have to caution us against that because God really doesn't need our help to fight his battles. God doesn't need our help to vindicate himself. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, he said, in the end, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So in terms of defending his name, he already got that. So our need to help him with that, we got to check ourselves and make sure that our, our motives are actually pure. But another reason why we, we draw the line in the sand um, in terms of battling is that we misunderstand the true battlefront. Because Ephesians chapter 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers in the air. And like, this is spiritual warfare often. And we think that what we're going to do and what we're going to say is going to beat somebody into having a changed heart. But I've never seen anybody in an MMA fight be choked out and then wake up and say, yes, Jesus, <laughs> you are the way because this person choked me out. No, the, the heart change truly happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we got to be careful that when we're drawing the line that we don't see battle as the way to go. But another way that we, we slip up in terms of how we engage in these situations is we draw a line in the sand in order to separate ourselves. And we do that for two reasons. One is because it's comfortable for us to do that. So when I see something that's not like God or something that's unrighteous or something that makes me uncomfortable, I'll draw that line in the sand so that I can say, hey, why don't you go over here and I'm going to go way over here. And when I'm way over here, guess what? I don't have to think about you. I don't have to worry about you. I don't have to deal with the complexities that you bring to the table. You know, that's like that saying out of sight and out of mind. We want to do that in order to get in a place of comfort. Or sometimes we do that not just to get in a place of comfort, but it creates a, a sense of, of false righteousness with ourselves, where we say, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to put them over here and that way that allows me to call them a them. And if they are not like me and they are them, then I can feel better about myself because I'm not like them. I don't do the things that they do. I don't say the things that they say. I don't act and respond in the way that they do. And so I can feel better about myself because, yeah, look at me. Yeah, I'm so much better because I'm not like them. And we feel that moral superiority. And so if we are saying that we should not be drawing a line in the sand to either battle or to banish people, well, Derek, what should we be doing when we're faced in these situations where we encounter things that are not righteous or things that look to be not like God. You know, I'm thinking as this church prepares to move downtown in Edmond, you're going to be encountering some things and some people that don't look like God. Now, I grew, I, I grew up in Birmingham in the South Bible Belt. I went to seminary in Dallas, South Bible Belt. And as I was coming in from the hotel today, I saw churches on every corner. 
big churches on every corner. But newsflash people, there are lost people in this community. There are people in this community that are not representing the ways of God. There are people in these big, large buildings that have crosses on them that are doing things that are not representing the way of God. And our engagement with them cannot simply be to draw a line in the sand, to battle them or to banish them and separate ourselves from them. So if that's not the case, then what is it that we should be doing? Well, we find help in the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. And the story that unfolds here in Luke chapter 19 is going to help us determine how do we properly engage in these situations. Luke chapter 19. What's going to help us as we dive into this text is there are several words as we go through this that refer to looking or seeing or seeking. And as we go through this text, we're going to pay attention to what are people looking at? What are people looking for? And what are they seeing or seeking? And that's going to help us determine how do we properly engage with people that we see are not following the ways of Jesus. A little background before we get into this text. Uh, Luke does a lot of work in this theme of the, the people of God or Jesus dealing with tax collectors. It starts in Luke chapter 3 where John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness and he's talking about repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and all of these people are coming and they're curious about what is this kingdom that he's talking about and how can they lay hold to it and they're asking the question well okay I understand that you're saying the kingdom is near but how do I do this? How do I take hold of this? And one of the groups there in Luke chapter 3 was this group of tax collectors that came and said, well, Lord, how do I, John, how do I take hold of this? And John told them to only take as much as you should. Don't take more than what you're typically owed. And that was his response to them. And then in uh, Luke chapter 5, we see our next iteration where Jesus is calling his disciples and he's walking past a tax collector booth and he sees a brother named Levi. And he told Levi to come and follow me. And Levi dropped everything that he had and followed Jesus. And he threw this huge banquet at his house. And he invited his tax collector homies with him to this banquet. And the religious people saw this and they had a problem with it. They was like, why is Jesus hanging out with these tax collectors, these sinners? And they had a big problem with that. And we see that they didn't get over this thing because when, by the time we get to Luke chapter 15, and you know the, 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 prodigal, the prodigal son parable that we're so familiar with? The reason why Jesus gave that parable was right there at the beginning of Luke chapter 15. The, tax, the, uh, excuse me, the Pharisees and the religious people were asking Jesus, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these tax collectors? Why are you fellowshipping and having meals and associating yourself with these vile and evil people? And Jesus goes on to give the parables, several parables, including the parable of the tax collector, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, in addressing this question of why is he hanging out with these people? Why is he fellowshipping with them? 
And then by the time we get here to uh, chapter 19, this is the pinnacle passage in Luke of this theme of Jesus and the tax collectors. And it picks up here in chapter 19, verse 1. And he says, talking about Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, or look, pay attention to what's about to happen. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. So here we have Jesus, who is later in this phase of his earthly ministry, about to head to Jerusalem to face what he was about to face on the cross. And he was passing through this town of Jericho, and we're introduced to this man named Zacchaeus. And the text tells us that he was not just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. Now, I know you are like me in that we don't have a whole lot of love for tax collectors. I don't know in any society, in any century, in anywhere where people are really in love with people who are coming to collect taxes. Now, I've modified that a little bit because my understanding that when taxes are collected, things happen like my garbage gets picked up. So I'm not going to beef too hard with tax collectors, but I still am not a big fan of them. I, I, I had the opportunity um, with our church. Uh, we uh, support a ministry in Haiti. And before it got too dangerous the past couple of years, um, we would go down and send teams down there once or twice a year. And one of the things when you get into Port-au-Prince and you leave the airport, you notice that along the side of the road, there's just trash everywhere. And so when I was riding down that, that first time I was in Haiti and we we're going down on the road headed to uh, Pastor Ronald's house where we were going to connect, I was like, well, maybe tax collectors are not so bad if that gets the trash picked up. So I was like, okay, maybe there's a difference. But that didn't get me all the way over it because I still remember what it was like the first time I got a big check after our college when I was working and I saw this dude named FICA. <laughs> And I was like, who is FICA and why is he stealing all my money? <laughs> but as I've gotten uh, used to that, I was like, I want to steal this in my kids. So even when my kids were growing up and we, they would have food on their plates, like a French fry or tater tot, I would reach over there and grab food off their plate and I would let them know this is the daddy tax. <laughs> because I have to get them ready to understand that some of your stuff that you think is yours, there's some time that somebody going to get their hand in your plate and they're going to take it. And you just got to learn to be eye with it. <laughs> but no one likes to be taxed. And tax collectors were especially vilified in this uh, time by uh, the people of Israel and the Jewish people because the tax collectors were working on behalf of the Roman oppressors. So the way Rome worked was Rome was a, was a conquering empire. And when they took over uh, a group of people or a land, they would assign a tax amount to that group of people, and then they would subcontract the collection of the taxes to people who were from that people group. Because they were like, hey, we don't know the lay of the land. We don't know where these people live. We just know there's an amount that we want to get. And so you, as a subcontractor, you bring us what we want, and whatever else you do with them, that's your business. And so the tax collectors would take the amount that they owed to Rome 
and then put their own fee on top of that and take that from the people who were under the Roman rule. The problem is, is that there was no guideline to how much over they could charge people. And so if you can imagine, first of all, people don't like to be taxed anyway, but now they're being taxed by a person who they know is overcharging them and they have no recourse. Because guess who the police are? The Romans. So you can't tell the Romans who you don't like <laughs> about your Jewish folks who are taxing you. And so all of their, their, their venom and frustration was directed to these tax collectors who were Jewish because they were like, y'all are sellouts. Y'all are working for the man. Y'all are taking money in my pocket and you're giving it to the folks who are oppressing us. And so when you talk about the lowest form on the societal rung, this is where tax collectors are, and this is why people in these Jewish people hated them. And not only that, but these tax collectors were rich and would flaunt their money in front of them. I don't know, again, I'm, I'm talking to people that y'all family so I can reveal these things. Have you ever loaned somebody money before and then seen them buy something new? And they haven't paid you back yet? <laughs> Man, how frustrated that is. It's like, wait a minute, where you get all that money from? And you have the, bold, the boldness to show it off in front of me? That's effectively what the Jewish people were seeing. They were like, you're stealing money from me. I can't do anything about it. And you're going to flaunt it in front of my face. So these people were not very well considered in society. And so Jesus, as he's passing through this town of Jericho, there's this guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector and it says he was the chief tax collector so he was the one sitting on the top of one of these multi-level pyramids where he had guys down below him stealing and he and they were being taxed and he was taxing them and so he was a very very rich man and people hated him absolutely hated him but we see Zacchaeus doing something that strikes us as odd if you're anything like me but the text says that he was, in chapter verse 3, that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now that's curious to me. Because Zacchaeus had gained some trappings of, of the lifestyle that we would think we would want to have. He had a good job. He was wealthy. He had all the money that he desired. But he was an outcast in society. And being an outcast in society, I'm sure, did not sit well with him. Because for all the money that he had, he couldn't buy fellowship. For all the money that he had, he couldn't buy community. But he apparently had heard something about Jesus. Because when he saw, uh, that we heard that Jesus was coming, he was seeking to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus was a little short dude. And so he was like, well, I want to see him. But I'm sure he was scared for his own safety, so he couldn't join the throngs in the crowd who were waiting to see Jesus. So he did something that should be very odd to you, in that a grown man climbed up into a tree. I don't know about you, but I think the tree climbing stuff stopped about 1516. <laughs> you don't expect grown men to climb trees. But to me, that speaks to his desperation, or at least the heightened curiosity that he had, 
was that he was willing to go to great lengths in order to get a glimpse or to see this man named Jesus. And I'm just wondering if maybe he had heard the stories about Jesus, that Jesus was a known entity to hang out with tax collectors, people who didn't get invited to dinner. But Jesus was known to hang out with this group. And so maybe he was like, well, if he'll hang out with them, then maybe he'll hang out with me. There's something different or unique about him, and I want to get a glimpse of that. Or maybe he heard that Jesus had Levi in his crew and said, well, man, Jesus actually like does life with a guy who does, who had the same occupation as me. There's something unique about him. There's something different about him. And I want to get a glimpse of it. Family, we have to be careful that when there are, we see people and we see them in their unrighteousness or, they, or they're different from us or they, they, they don't believe what we believe or they act in a way that is, is jarring to us, to not take it to the limb to say, well, they don't want God. They're not interested in the things that God has to offer. We have to be careful that we don't draw that line and say, man, there's somebody who we need to just completely ostracize or to battle because they may actually be on the lookout for the thing that you have to provide. The text says that Zacchaeus was searching and seeking to be able to get a glimpse of this man named Jesus. Verse five continues. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house this day. So he hurried down and came down and he received him joyfully. So we're looking now from the perspective of Jesus. What was Jesus looking at? Imagine what Jesus had on his mind as he's passing through Jericho, headed to Jerusalem. I'm sure that if it was us, that our mind would be consumed with what was about to happen in Jerusalem. I'm about to go to this place. My team that I've been walking with for three years, they're going to abandon me. My boy Peter is going to turn his back and deny me. I'm going to be taken through this sham trial. I'm about to receive a brutal beating. And I'm about to lose my life. But in the midst of all of that that Jesus had on his plate and all of that that Jesus had on his mind, as he was passing through Jericho, he was still able to be intentional to look for Zacchaeus. Because the text said, as Jesus was going through Jericho, it said he looked up and saw Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a grown man. I live on a boulevard in Denver and there are trees that line the boulevard and when I'm going on walks in my neighborhood one of the things that I don't do when I'm crossing over that boulevard in the trees is look up at the trees a second thing that I don't do as I'm walking across that boulevard is I don't look up in the trees expecting to find grown men in them <laughs> it takes a serious level of intentionality for Jesus to have been going along this way mind on what's going on in what he's going to face in Jerusalem to have taken the time to look up to see this little man who's climbed up into a tree Jesus had to be intentional and understood there was something that he needed to do 
in order to uh, interact with Zacchaeus. And when he saw him and he spoke to him, he told Zacchaeus that I must have dinner at your house. Not that it's a good idea, not that I would love an invitation, not, hey man, let's pull out our calendars and see if we can link up for coffee. Jesus said, I must have dinner with you. There was a level of intentionality and purpose that Jesus had with what he was looking for. He was looking for Zacchaeus. I know that school is starting back. Many of you uh, have kids and you're about to get into that rhythm of dropping Johnny off at school or picking Sally up from soccer practice. But I know that your schedules are busy, but you have to be intentional about how you move because there are some things that you need to create time and space for in order to do what God is asking you to do. Sometimes we get so, so, so tight with our schedules. It's like, man, I got to pick the kid up from school and then I have another meeting and then I'm going to go here and it's time for dinner and then we get in a routine to get the kids ready for bed and boom, 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 boom. And there's no time and no space to be able to take a moment and to look around you and see who is looking for me. Who is looking for the thing that I have to offer? You have to create time. You have to create space. You have to be intentional about even your calendar and how you're organizing your life because there are people out there, people in your community, people who go to, uh, parents who go to school with your kids, other people, uh, neighbors and whatnot, who need the thing that you have, who will be blessed by the thing that you have to offer, but you have to be intentional in order to see them. They're looking for you, but are you looking for them? Zacchaeus was so intentional that he humiliated himself by climbing into a tree so that he could get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus paid that off by being intentional, by looking up, by deviating from his schedule, by not just being task oriented, by not just trying to finish the things he had to finish in his planner for the day. But he said, I must go and have dinner with you because what I see and what I'm looking for, you, looking for is connected with my purpose. And we'll see his purpose later on in the text. But verse 6, we see that there's some haters in the house. So Zacchaeus, he hurried down, hurried and came down and he received them joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Well, who is the they? The they is the crowd, the onlookers, the religious people, the Jews who did not like Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector. And when they were looking and when they saw what Jesus did, what was their response? They got mad. They were angry. Why? Because Jesus moved in a way that was not comfortable for them. Jesus was talking to a man who they felt that Jesus shouldn't be talking to. They had their own zeal and their own perspective on what God should be doing and how God should be acting in the world that they found themselves at odds with what God was actually doing and actually acting in the world. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that you can have such zeal for God 
that you can get out ahead so far ahead of God that you end up on the wrong side of the fence. These were people that are saying, God, do you know what you're doing? Do you know who this man is? Do you know how he gets down? Do you know the things that he says? Do you know the things that he does? And they saw that and they grumbled and they complained. Jesus, I mean Zacchaeus found, saw Jesus and his sense, based on Jesus' invitation to him to come to have dinner, he had joy about it. And the people who were supposed to be the people of God saw it and they got mad. Here's God doing things, bringing joy into the hearts of a man. And instead of God's people celebrating with it, they were getting upset, angry, and they grumbled because of what Jesus was doing and the fact that he was offering fellowship with a sinner. When you eat with somebody, when you share a meal with somebody, it communicates acceptance. It communicates that I see you. It communicates that I see you and I have a desire to be in some sort of relationship with you. And for the, 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 the people of God to see that, those Jewish people, that was offensive to them. Because God, the man who was saying that he was God in the flesh, was having a relationship with somebody that they felt he shouldn't be having a relationship with. And it's wild because their accusation was that Jesus should have known better by the laws of Moses that you don't connect and have access to with sinners and eat with sinners because that makes you ceremonially unclean. But the thing that they were missing is that Jesus was God in the flesh. And the and John chapter uh, John chapter 1 says the word became flesh and came and tabernacled amongst us. So here's Jesus who came down and set up shop and lived in the home of a bunch of sinners. Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that, and that all have sinned. And that um, uh, Romans uh, chapter 5 talk about that, that, that we were not in a place where we were seeking out the righteousness of God. At the, it says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus in the mere fact that he was on earth was doing the thing that they were accusing him of doing with Zacchaeus. Jesus could not be on earth and not be at the home of sinners. And yet they could not have the wherewithal to say that here's God making his home with us who need him. No, they were like, how can you have relationship and go into this sinner's home? Crazy. But you start to have like really illogical theological beliefs and practices when you your zeal for God outruns your understanding of truly the heart of God. Here's Jesus saying, part of what I'm supposed to do is to fellowship and reside with folks who are on the other side of the table, who are on the other side of the aisle, who, uh, who don't represent me, who don't act in the way that I want them to act. But that's part of what I'm here to do. And as the people of God, we cannot be like the people of God then who looked around and saw that and was like, God, how could you? Don't you know who they are? Because in doing that, they were missing that God also knew who they were. And he knew what they needed. And because he knew what they needed, he exemplified the thing that he did with Zacchaeus with them 
by coming down from heaven and taking on humanity and setting up his home with a world full of sinners. We got to make sure that our zeal for God doesn't get in the way of the mission that God has us on and have us being crossways with God. I know we can really sit back here and look at this text and say, man, how did, how was, how did they miss this? Here's Jesus. You know, we're thinking, well, well, man, if I was around and I saw Jesus doing the things, I'd just get right along with what Jesus did. No, no, no. And I told you y'all family so I can talk to y'all like this. No. If y'all are like any of my folks at the embassy, no. If y'all are anything like me, no. Because I'm sure if Jesus was here in the flesh, there'd be some things that he did. There'd be some people he talked to. There'd be some conferences that he went to. There'd be some pictures he posted on Facebook that we'd be looking at and it's like, I don't know about that, God. I don't know. You sure you want to do that? But we have to be careful that we are in alignment with God and that our zeal for God, our desire to say we want to represent him doesn't get in the way of truly representing him. The text goes on to say, and when he saw that they grumbled, he, had, he has gone in to be guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, look, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So here we get a very clear articulation of what it is that Jesus was looking for. Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus because what Jesus was looking for, his vision was tied to his mission. His vision on looking for Zacchaeus and wanting to connect with him and fellowship was indelibly tied to what Jesus was here and he came for. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' actions and his vision was tied to his mission and that was to seek and to save the lost. The people of God, the, the Jewish people, they were looking around and they were looking to see who is unrighteous so we can separate ourselves from them. Jesus came to look and say and see who is unrighteousness, who is unrighteous so that we can have fellowship with them, so I can connect with them. We look at those folks and we want to fight them. Jesus looks at those folks and says, I want to offer fellowship. I want to change them from a them to an us. I have the thing that they desperately need. Regardless of how much money they have, regardless of how much stature they have, regardless of the things that they think makes living and, and being in this world okay, the thing that they need more than anything is me. And that's what I'm looking for, and that's what I come to offer them. It is our responsibility, as we're trying to represent this Jesus way, as we're as trying to represent him as being his people, to seek and to save the lost. That's our mission. That's our mission. Our mission isn't to fight them. Our mission isn't to banish them. 
Our mission is to look for them, to be intentional about looking for them so that we can offer the salvation of Jesus that they desperately, desperately need. What Jesus was looking for was indelibly tied to what he was sent to do. And what we should be looking for also should align with the mission of what we're sent to do. When we go out and we move around in this city and interact with our neighbors, interact with our coworkers, interact with uh, our, our, the parents of our kids, interact with people at coffee shops, interact with people at uh, the rodeo. Y'all go to rodeo up here? <laughs> There's a big rodeo in Colorado, I've been. No shade. But wherever you go, you're looking, you're intentional to look because this is the mission that you're on to seek and to save the lost. I want to be careful that as we're thinking about who the lost were, that we don't see seeking the lost and equating them with poor people. Zacchaeus was not a poor person. Zacchaeus was rich. When we're talking about seeking the lost, the lost are the people who need Jesus. Not just people who need money. Not just people who come from a broken home. Not just people who don't have some of the material advantages that I have. But they're people who need Jesus. Guess who needs Jesus? People in our neighborhoods. People who make more money than us. People who have two-parent homes. People who look just like us. People who vote just like us. There are people, again, we are in the buckle of the Bible belt here. There are a lot of people inside church walls who need the salvation of Jesus. But we have to have the lenses on and the vision to see them and then be about our mission. One of the things that my, my son didn't know about little Nas X is that he grew up in church. And I saw an interview where they were asking him about how a lot of his videos have uh, imagery and Christian imagery and things of that nature. And he mentioned that he grew up in church. But he found that because he was different as he was growing up, that he was ostracized in that space. And that is something that leads him to be so provocative now that he's out and proud and he just really wants us to kind of rattle cages. The reason why he, he presents and goes about his business in the way that he does. But I wonder what it would have been like for those who were in that church body that he was in when he was younger to have seen him and notice that, yeah, you know, he's moving a little bit differently. But instead of drawing a line in the sand and, and ostracizing him and saying, no, you know, get over there. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Or maybe going to him and grabbing him by the lapel and talking to him about, about this is what right is and trying to beat it out of him. If they truly bought, brought to him this message of hope, this message of wholeness, this message that for whatever is broken in you, Jesus is the answer. Jesus has the healing. I do wonder if he had somebody in his life who saw him, who was looking for him, didn't just look at what he was doing, but really saw the heart of the matter and said, I have this beautiful gift that I've received. I want the whole world to share in it, including this young brother here. I wonder how his life would have turned out.
I wonder how differently would it have been for him. Church, that's our responsibility. This is our mission. This is our call. What use is it for us to put all this work in and build this new building and not have to do setup and breakdown and have this new space and we go into downtown Edmond and we just hang out with each other. And we don't take a look at who else is around us. Who else in this community needs this Jesus that we have? What good is it if that we're just too stuck to our schedules or too narrow in our focus in who the lost is? That we miss these other people around. You know, we're looking at the, for the folks who don't have the money and we're missing the folks who are in the coffee shop with us. Our mission is to share the vision that Jesus had and to be on the same steps that he was. And that's to seek and to save the lost. My prayer for you, redemption, is that when you encounter people that don't represent God, that are moving in a way that's not like him, that you don't draw a line in the sand to battle or banish them, but that you would understand that your mission and your calling is to see them and to bring to them this mission of hope and of salvation because our mission is the same as our Jesus' mission and that's to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have placed us in the position to live out your mission. Lord, you've given us a great calling, but Lord, you have given us you, which is the thing that this desperate, fallen and broken world needs Lord would you give us the vision would you give us the eyes to see the people who like Zacchaeus are looking for your message of hope and Lord would you help us and give us the words and give us the heart to be able to engage in those rough places even in the face of naysayers who may look at what we're doing and saying no that's not of God Lord would you give us the heartbeat of you to be able to move into those spaces and to bring your love and your salvation to those who desperately need it. Thank you for your word today, Lord. Lord, let it fall deep into our hearts and Lord, have us be able to live this out even beginning next week. Thank you for your time in the word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.